Every day, we make money decisions. Veggie burger or beef, staycation or a holiday overseas, bargain hunt online or buy something brand new. But it's not just finances driving these choices. For a growing number of Canadians, concerns about the climate impact both small choices like what to eat and big choices like where to live. Welcome to Stress Test, a personal finance podcast for millennials and Gen Z. I'm Roma Luzio, personal finance editor at The Globe and Mail. And I'm Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at The Globe. Today, we're talking about how financial decisions are being affected by climate anxiety, the fear of looming environmental doom. It's something young people in particular are worried about. Some are questioning where they should live, what they should be saving for, and how they should invest. Others wonder whether they should even bother planning for a future. After the break, we'll speak with a financial planner about this issue. Shannon Lee Simmons is a Toronto-based author and certified financial planner. She works with a range of clients, including millennials. Shannon, when you meet with your clients to talk about financial plans, how often do worries about climate change and the environment come up? Every day. And it, and I'll tell you this, it didn't five years ago. And it comes up because there's things like, let's say that they want to buy a home and they can't really afford it. But they're like, maybe, you know, maybe in 10 years, I can, the comment will be something like, okay, well, will, will anybody even have a job in 10 years? Like, what about if climate change is shifting everything? Like, who knows if there's even going to be like jobs or an economy? And whenever I'm talking about investment advice, and this is also for people who are retiring, like people who, my clients who are like 55 are like, can, is a balanced portfolio something that still holds up? Because what happens with climate change? And if the world's on fire in 20 years, like, how's that, how does that affect my riff? Like, you know what I, like actually, and so I really feel like, it's top of mind and it it seeps into the day-to-day conversation because so much of personal finance is projecting out in the long run. And that's very uncertain these days. Okay. What specifically are they worried about? As far as personal finance goes, that's where I can speak to like what I'm hearing in my meetings. There is a lot of discussion around capitalism as we know it as in invest in a stock, buy an ETF, broad sweeping markets, that kind of thing. In 15 to 20 years, it will just not exist. They don't, nobody knows what it might be, but that it's just not sustainable in the way that it is. And that, so is investing even a good idea? And compounded on that is I don't want to invest my money into something that is adding to the problem. I am so is I disgusted to put my money into something that might benefit me in the short run, but is causing this long-term issue. So there's also that piece around like, I want my money to do something. I want to keep up with inflation. I want to do all those things on a personal level, but I can't shut my blinders off on the broader strokes here. And so that kind of um, social awareness is is beautiful and also something to navigate. So there's a lot of anxiety about the future. There's so much to mine here, Shannon. I want to start with one of the first things you said, which is that they are concerned about the structure of capitalism and the investment element. They're specifically coming to you for help with that. How do you handle that? What kind of advice can you give someone like that? I know. I'm (laughs) I'm basically just honest. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. 
um, we basically work through it together. I, ha- I share that anxiety too. I have it. I'm also a millennial. I'm an elder millennial. I feel like I need like a, like a scroll to say that. But I feel like my big thing is I don't have the answers. Nobody does. How much have we ever known about it? We've always used the past and projections and everything like that. And we've always been working towards an uncertain future because the future is never in our control. So that actually is an element that's constant in, in investing is that it's like, you just try. But what I try to say is like, okay, so you're afraid of that in 20 years. I get it. Are you afraid of that for the next five years? Well, no. Okay. So let's operate on a very micro timeline. Let's operate in the next five years and then we'll reassess. Um, which is the best that any of us can do truly like nobody, nobody has a crystal ball on how this is going to play out. It's a weird time. Shannon, what kind of questions are you hearing from clients that come see you that do want to invest, but they want to do that in a responsible way for the environment? Right. So I think this is a big conversation around, um, you know, socially responsible investing and everything like that. And so there are lots of uh, products out there that are quote socially responsible or SRI, but they still have, you know, they're still holding fossil fuels in them. And so it really depends on how hardcore you want to be about it. I think that's like the, there's a spectrum, right? So there's the spectrum of people who are like, I just want to vote with my dollars in the sense that I want to send a financial institution a message saying, Hey, you've made this socially responsible product. I'm going to buy that and nothing else, because I want you to know that there's a demand for this. Cool. That's important even though you might still be investing in um, certain industries that make you feel like icky, um, there might, there's still power and empowerment in that because you are sending a message to the, the company. that's like, Oh, cool. Let's make more of these or let's really dive deep on this. There's money to be made there. Um, the other pieces on the other end of the spectrum is like, I want completely out. That is a real DIY situation or almost DIY situation to, to opt out completely out of like certain industries or fossil fuels or whatever. So often I'll find those people looking for alternative ways to invest. They often are um, trading their in their own brokerage accounts for sure. And they are still buying, um, you know, ET, I think it's, I think the smart way to do that is uh, if you're going to DIY that and try to like forego um, some certain industries is to still use like broad-based ETFs, but maybe sector specific. So you can kind of pick and choose what sectors and then you're not necessarily just stock selecting on your own out there. Um, I really have seen that blow up okay, again with some of the stock market volatility that we've had because it's just not diversified, right? Um, so I do think that if you're going to totally opt out, which I think is also great, just making sure that you're thinking about the diversification piece, uh, like holistically in your portfolio. Climate change could be compared to the pandemic in that it's a form of collective trauma and it's impacted everyone to some degree. Do you think that living through a recent event like, you know, the pandemic, that's collective trauma has changed people's approach to money? One a thousand percent, yes. I feel like even at the top of the call number, I said like, oh, I only heard a smattering of this kind of chat like five years ago. And now everybody, including people who are like retired or about to retire, who maybe, you know, their alarm wasn't as on before. It really woke people up that life is ridiculously unpredictable. And I think, I think it scared people in a way to say, well, I didn't see that coming. Nobody saw that coming. What else is lurking down the pipeline? And I think that was the negative part of it. It injected uncertainty into our lives, right? We took a lot of things for granted as far as assumptions on on what is going to happen going forward. And now in much of the world, we're faced with like really high inflation, interest rates that rose really aggressively after like (laughs) over a decade of low interest rates, which are really messing with people. The only silver lining about that 
I, I think it's made people more conservative going forward. And I mean, conservatives in like, okay, well, bad things could happen. So how do I kind of protect myself against that? So not as leveraged, not as much debt is now becoming a conversation that is like, I'm too scared, even though I could do it, I'm too scared to now because I don't want to get, I don't want that to sink me later. Whereas a really healthy attitude towards money that I think was distorted actually for like a decade. Do you ever have clients that come see you who sort of are handling or I guess struggling to handle their climate anxiety fears among other worries by sort of the bury your head in the sand approach? What's the purpose? Because it's all going to go up in a in a ball of flame anyway. So no planning yep. required. What do you do when someone like that is sitting in front of you? Roma, they don't come see me. Yeah, fair enough. So I yeah. know they're out there. Um, so, I know they're out there from like social communities that I have. And that person's, and especially because I'm fee for service, they have to pay money. So nobody who believes that there's no point in planning is going to pay me money to plan something they don't want to plan. But if they're listening to this, what would your thoughts for them be? I mean, obviously I'm biased. And I, I think sometimes if you believe that there's no hope, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I have been saying that for years. That's not a new thing that has to do with climate change. I've just seen it firsthand. When you give up or assume the worst, then every action that you take becomes that. And then the outcome is also that. So I would hate, just make sure that you're not making decisions that you'll look back on and regret. Honestly, that's it. And so I would often say, what's the harm? It's cheaper than therapy, right? Coming (laughs) coming in for one (laughs) session is cheaper than like, and then a few therapy sessions. See what someone has to say. And if it didn't help, then at least you know. And then you're like, okay, I'm firm on my plan to do nothing. Or maybe it was the right thing at the right time that could just be one habit or one shift that might just in case things end up being okay and be fine down the road. Like we figure something out and it's wonderful and it's everything that we're all hoping for that you're also okay in that timeline too. Well, and in many ways, living an environmentally friendly lifestyle uh, can complement living economically, a smaller house, uh, no or fewer cars, potentially less travel or more local travel. So in some ways, making these decisions can empower someone. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that there's so much to be empowered about. And we do vote with our dollars. And I think that using your money in a way that aligns with your values on every front. So not even on your day-to-day transactions, but on the major decisions of your life, like how how and where am I going to live? How and where am I going to get around? What am I going to do for money? These are all decisions you make with your money that say something about what's important to you. And so if you're in a situation where you're scared and you don't know what to do, even just like thinking about the, those those kinds of things as being like voting with your dollars and like it is empowering to think about what you're, what you're doing with your money matters. It does. Everything that we do with our money matters because that's how right now the system, is, the system is set up. Thanks to Shannon for these insights. After the break, we hear from a millennial who puts climate concerns at the forefront of his decision making. Our guest today considers the climate in every financial decision he makes. So my name is Dan. I am 36 years old and I live in downtown Toronto. Dan's behavior is shaped in part by his career as a high school science and biology teacher. When I began uh, my teaching career in earnest, 
Um, the first time I taught grade 10 science, there's actually an entire unit devoted to climate and climate change. And to do the best job possible for my students, I really delved into um, the information, the research that was out there, um, understanding the causes, the effects, and of course, the, the consequences of, of climate. And I think that was definitely a tipping point for me because I really um, fully began to appreciate just how serious um, the, the issue is. Um, and I began to see how, you know, each and every one of us as individuals do have, albeit a small role to play in sort of doing our part to mitigate, to prepare and to sort of respond um, to, to climate change and, and how that's going to continue to, to only get more um, exaggerated um, in the future. He didn't always prioritize the climate in his financial decision making. Like many people sort of in their mid to late 20s, um, just having a reliable, steady income and just, you know, paying the bills, paying rent um, was was sort of my my priority for for quite a long time. Um, but as as my you know income became more consistent and, and reliable, um, I, I did begin to sort of really focus on on how I was spending that money. Um, I think I've always been a fairly eco-conscious consumer, but in the last several years, and, and especially somehow it's been sort of um, amplified by, by the pandemic, I've really thought, you know, how I, I spend my money and, and what the impacts of, of that are on my finance. And so to the point where, you know, all of the decisions I'm making um, around, around money are in one way or another um, sort of impacted or shaped by how I feel about what we or what I as an individual needs to do to, to play my part in, in making a more or making a sustainable future um, here on planet Earth. Dan grew up on a small farm in rural Ontario. When he moved to Toronto 12 years ago, he had no intention of staying for the long haul. But now he can't see himself leaving in part due to environmental concerns. I, I look at the lifestyles of, of people that I, you know, went to high school with, my, even my family, um, that do still continue to live in the, in the country and just the amount of, the amount of space that they, that they occupy and that they feel that they need. Uh, their constant complaints about their energy consumption, uh, always makes me chuckle because, well, yeah, you have this massive building or this home that you, you know, you're heating and, you know, feeding electricity to all these rooms that you don't even occupy. So, you know, living in the city, you don't have a lot of choice about how much space you have. I, I do not subscribe to this Canadian obsession with, with home ownership. Um, and I, I'm, I'm happily uh, renting and I, I could see myself doing so for the rest of my life. I, uh, I, I enjoy sort of sharing a space with other people so that you can better utilize, um, whether it's a house um, or, you know, a condo building. Um, and so I'm, I'm very content to live in a, in a smaller space, but in a community where you have access to parks and all of the amenities, restaurants, bars, shopping, etc. Like I can do everything I need um, within my, you know, within my five kilometer radius. And so that's something that, you know, we in the cities have to our advantage. Um, but I also think it's like it's really valuable and important for, for the environment that we that we live a little bit more, you know, local and smaller scale. He's also staying more local when he travels. I would say that my travel, especially in the last few years, um, in light of the pandemic, has become very eco-conscious. Um, I have not left Canada, and I, I feel fairly confident that I, 
I would be perfectly happy never leaving Canada again. I know that sounds very sort of almost like close-minded, but we have this incredibly beautiful country um, and I'm perfectly happy to travel domestically. Um, I, you know, I mentioned the Rocky Mountains, which I have, you know, I have made my one trip each year, you know, two weeks to the mountains to get lost in, in Banff or Jasper National Park. Uh, previously, I've gone to Vancouver and, and, and Vancouver Island, um, which is beautiful, the east coast of Canada, um, the Cabot Trail. Um, so there are so many places within Canada that although the world is a big and beautiful place and, and, and I, I don't ever want to say that traveling and seeing more of the world is, is something that I would sort of actively you know say that people shouldn't do, um, but I personally now feel that I can get that wanderlust and I can be satisfied with with domestic travel here in Canada. And even, you know, without getting on a plane, you can drive, you know, an hour and a half north of, of the city and you can be in very rugged, nat uh, natural beauty in, in northern Ontario. He isn't just changing where he travels, but also how he gets around when he arrives. So the first couple of times that I went out west, it was sort of a no-brainer to rent a car uh, to get around. And the very first time I went out west, I remember clocking like 3,000 kilometers on the rental car that I had for two weeks. Um, the second time I went back, I kind of thought about that. And I was just like, well, maybe it would be better to just sort of stay a little bit more local and, uh, and, and explore a particular region. I still rented a car, but I think I traveled like a fraction of the distance. And then last summer, and I'm, I'm honestly, I, I've never had an, uh, an experience, I've never had a trip that I've enjoyed more. I actually opted not to rent a car and I was able to rely entirely on public transit, um, which, which um, Canmore and Banff and Lake Louise, they've done an amazing job of investing in their, in their like local little public transit system, but you can get around to all of the, the major attractions. And I think other places are sort of catching on um, because they don't just want those like those full parking lots of, of rental cars, right? That's not great for, that's not good for the environment. And it takes away from the, the beauty of, of the natural environment. And so now going forward, I'm trying to like think about, well, how can I travel and, you know, again, still reduce my, my ecological environmental footprint by relying on public transit, supporting, you know, very local small businesses like, um, like B&Bs and things like that. I try not to stay in, in big hotels. Uh, I do occasionally camp, uh, but I know that's not for everyone. Um, so even when I travel, I'm trying to think of ways to sort of reduce my, my impacts. Another big way Dan tries to reduce his environmental impact is through his diet. Um, I've been sort of an on-again, off-again vegetarian for the better part of like 15 years. Um, I've been taking that more seriously, trying to find ways to, to reduce um, the consumption of, of animal products, particularly beef and pork, um, dairy, things like that. Um, and so on the one hand, I feel like I'm actually saving money, right? I hear about people spending, you know, their grocery bills on, on, um, you know, eggs and, and meat. And I can only imagine how expensive that is. I don't know because I don't buy those products. But all of these companies that are trying to, to cater to people like me, um, and are coming up with these plant-based, uh, products, um, those are not cheap. And so when I go and I, I buy Beyond Meat, 
um, burgers or I try vegan cheese to put on a pizza, I mean, that definitely is not cheap and that definitely adds to my to my grocery bill and my living expenses. So I don't wonder if I probably come out more or less the same when it comes to the finance financial side of, of how much money I'm spending on my on my grocery bill. Um, but I, I can feel good about that expense because again, I, I feel very strongly um, that um, that not necessarily being vegetarian, but being a flexitarian and and reducing animal and meat consumption um, is an absolute no-brainer when it comes to the, the environment because big egg has a disproportionate effect um, and contribution to, to greenhouse gas emissions and, and climate change. It's something like 20% um, of all emissions come from agriculture, um, particularly um, energy-intense um, sectors like beef consumption. He also changed how he shops. I, I went almost two years during the pandemic without buying absolutely anything new. So I'm a huge fan and I'm a proponent of repurposing, um, reusing. Um, I know that with Facebook Marketplace and with Kijiji and with so many others I, um, where like there's no real reason to buy new things, to be perfectly honest. Like there are so many people that are trying to get rid of perfectly good stuff and so um, I'm, I'm thinking about that when it comes to the clothes that I'm wearing, when it comes to the furniture that I'm buying, um, even plants. You can, you can find entire websites where you can like get people's plants because they have too many of them. By now, you won't be surprised to hear that Dan invests in ESG stocks. Again, I made, I made that decision um, purely because I believe it's the right thing to do. But in the long term, I also think it's, it's, an, it's an economically valuable thing to do. I think we are, again, we are slowly, far too slowly, we are transitioning uh, to a greener economy. And so I think by choosing to invest in um, in environmentally conscious um, stocks and bonds and things like that, I think that the long-term perspective for those returns in the long run will likely will likely soon exceed um, sort of more, more traditional or standard um, investing. Um, practices. Diet, shopping, and even investing are small considerations compared to family planning. That's a massive financial and personal undertaking that Dan has shelved due to climate concerns. I love children. I've chosen a profession where I get to work with children. Um, but I, I can say with some degree of confidence that I, I never plan to have children of, of my own. And part of the reason is because children have a massive impact on on the environment it they they change our entire lifestyles yes we need them <laughs> but i personally feel that um having children is is something that i i i wouldn't want to do i'm also i'm also legitimately concerned for the world a child born today is is coming into i i don't know what this world is going to look like 10 years from now, 25 years from now, 100 years from now. Um, and, you know, without being too cynical, like, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about what that world looks like. Um, and I don't think that we are doing um, our children's generation any favors um, in how we are continuing to sort of live our modern day lives. And so, yes, I'm, I'm, I would be very concerned about uh, bringing children into this, into this world. <laughs> and so I'm choosing not to do it. <laughs> It's not an exaggeration to say climate concerns factor into every decision Dan makes. So how does he grapple with climate anxiety and his own hopes for the future? There are certainly days where I do feel very, very cynical and pessimistic. 
and I see people around me living, you know, lavish lifestyles and, and not environmentally, you know, making, not making environmentally conscious decisions. And I want to throw my arms up and say, well, why don't I do that too? Why don't I just live in the moment and, you know, let it burn, right? I mean, why can't I enjoy it while I'm here? But I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. Like that doesn't align with, with my val- values. Like I do believe that I'm a prudent person. I do think very carefully, and I want to be a role model as a, as a teacher, as a, as a family member, an uncle, um, etc. I, I want to model um, what I believe is is good behavior when it comes to consumption um, and when it comes to the appreciation of of the natural world. I wouldn't say that I'm an optimist, but I am slowly coming on board with, I, I understand that, you know, we humans are extremely adaptable and I don't wonder if when this crisis becomes sufficiently severe, um, we will meander our way out of it. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a technophile. Some of my, my, my best friend is a technophile. He thinks we're going to come up with some sort of creative solution to get out of this. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more nuanced than that, but I, I wouldn't put it past, um, you know, our, our species to like figure out a solution, um, that allows us to continue to live, um, for better or for worse, the way we currently are. I fear the damage that we're going to do to the natural world um, in getting to that place um, when it comes to our oceans and our, our rainforests and, and, and all of these naturally beautiful species that you know, are going extinct at you know, record-breaking paces. Um, there, there are already severe consequences of, of our behaviors and there, those will only get worse, but somehow I think we humans will probably be okay. Dan clearly prioritizes the climate when he's making financial decisions, big and small. I know most of us don't do that. But it is prudent to think about risks when you're planning for the future. And climate change does inject risk into all of our lives. Roma, what are your takeaways from today's conversations? One, no one knows what the future holds, but taking even small steps like starting an emergency fund or building up some savings can give you a greater ability to make choices that align with your values. Two, When it comes to investing, where you allocate your money can make a meaningful contribution to the fight against climate change. Investments that target companies doing well in environmental, social, and other areas are easy to find today. Three, with the COVID pandemic, high inflation, and soaring housing, we've all been through a lot. But one way to alleviate your worries is to come up with a plan, one you can adjust every five or ten years. That would help me sleep better at night. Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Kyle Fulton and Emily Jackson. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Thanks to Shannon and Dan for joining us. You can find Stress Test wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. Next up on Stress Test, we talk investing. How are all the people who got into investing in the past few years feeling about the stock market's ups and downs lately? Until then, find us at theglobeandmail.com. Thanks for listening.